Well, God bless you guys. Welcome uh, to Swerve Church uh, once again. Man, these videos are intense, right? The opening for the uh, this series. and uh, But it's been a great series uh, so far. I want to thank you guys, first of all, for coming out tonight to spend some time with us here. And it's been a, a great time of worship. And now we're going to continue just by opening up God's uh, word as we get into God's word today. Uh, we, we've been in the series called I Deserve It. It just kicked off uh, last week. And we're looking at four different characters in the Bible who really deserve something worse, but instead they receive God's uh, forgiveness, his love, and his mercy. And what I want you guys to notice as we look at these four characters, that really we relate to them a lot more than you think, that, that we ought to as well deserve something worse, but instead we partake and we participate in God's forgiveness, his love, and his mercy. And last week, you guys remember it was Easter Sunday, we spoke about the two criminals that hung on either side of Jesus on the cross. And one of them, we said he was arrogant, he had no fear of God. But there was another one on the other side of Jesus that hung next to him. And we learned that he definitely was guilty of his crime. He admitted it, right? He said, man, I, we, we are getting what our deeds deserve. He realized that he was guilty of the crime that he committed, but he had a repentant and humble heart. He acknowledged Jesus as Lord and Savior right there on the cross. And Jesus tells him right there, he says this, today you will be with me in paradise. Now today, as we get into today, I want to start off by asking you guys a question. Did you ever get caught with your hand in the cookie jar? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You know, in other words, did you ever get caught red-handed doing something you were not supposed to do? I'm sure everybody here has we have our stories. I was remembering a time as I was uh, writing out this message when my oldest son was doing something that he was not supposed to do. Uh, he was just a toddler at the time. He was very small. But somehow he got his pudgy little fingers to unscrew the top of uh, the chocolate powder mix. And then he started stuffing his pudgy little fingers into the mix and into his mouth. And he had chocolate all over his mouth, all over his body. He just had chocolate powder just all over. He was going to town. Uh, you know, I, I was trying to look for the picture because we took a picture of it. I combed thousands of pictures. I couldn't find it. Uh, but it was it was crazy. He might have gone away, gotten away with it, except when we saw him, it was very obvious that he had the chocolate all over his body. Have you ever been caught in a situation like that? I mean, you know, not eating chocolate powder mix, but, you know, doing something wrong and you're caught for doing that thing. Today we're going to be looking at a woman in the New Testament who was caught in the very act of adultery. And because of this act, she deserved condemnation. But what we're going to see today is that instead she got something very, very different. Now I have to tell you guys this. This is important. There's a big boo-boo on, uh, on your bulletin. If you guys open that up, the message notes, the verse, I left it out. I forgot to write it in. So you see the long passage right there where today's verses are? Just write down John chapter 8, verses 2 to 11. Right? Those are the verses that we'll be reading today right there in, uh, in your notes. So just take out right there where the verses are. That long passage is just that. John chapter 8, verses 2 to 11. But we're going to start right there. We're going to start in the first two verses. I have it up here as well so you guys can follow along. Here's what it says. This is John chapter 8, verse 2. At dawn... Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him 
and he sat down to teach them. So he, he's kind of in the temple courts. He's beginning. He's a very good teacher. And people would gather around him to hear him expound on Scripture. And verse 3, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group. Now, I want you guys to really get the picture of what's going on here. Jesus is teaching in the temple courts, right? It's kind of like a life group, like the life group that we just had on Wednesday. He's kind of had some people around him, and, and they're studying the Bible. It's kind of like a Bible study or Sunday school. They're in the temple courts, and Jesus is teaching them. A crowd begins to gather around him. When all of a sudden, they're interrupted by what must have been a ruckus. It must have been quite the scene. As, as these Pharisees and these religious leaders are bringing this woman before, I would imagine in this scene, as Jesus is teaching and he's addressing everybody, they bring this woman in. I would imagine she was sobbing and yelling probably, even and, and trying to get away from the people that were trying to bring her towards uh, Jesus. And I imagine the Pharisees with their self-righteous and pompous stares, maybe even yelling, stone her, stone her, screaming as they bring her towards Jesus. This is the scenario. This is the scene where Jesus is, we find Jesus in. And we continue to read in verse 3, it says this, They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Verse 5, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? Now, I don't know about you guys, but I wouldn't want to have that happen to me, right? <laughs> Somebody brings up, you ever been asked those difficult questions and you just quite don't know uh, what to say? And the passage here says that Jesus, that this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. She was caught in the act of adultery. It would probably mean that they're dragging this woman out in the streets. She's probably either halfway or completely nude as they're bringing her towards Jesus, dragging her, shaming her. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the amount of shame that this woman is feeling at this moment? Not only is she literally hearing the voices of condemnation of the Pharisees and the religious leaders yelling stone her or telling Jesus the law commands us to kill her. What should we do? She's not only hearing the outside voices of condemnation, but can you imagine the voices of condemnation inside of her own head? Do you know how I know this? For the same reason that you all know this. Have you ever been caught in your sin? In fact, you don't even need to have experience, you know, being caught in order for you to experience the shame and the guilt and the voices of condemnation. And as I, I picture this woman being brought to Jesus, says she was caught in the act of adultery. They bring her before uh, Jesus, and they're telling Jesus, Should we, kill? we need to kill her. The law commands us to do this. And if you've ever been caught, or even if you haven't been caught, you felt you know, the condemnation, the shame, the guilt. I can imagine those voices sounding something like, you know, your life is over. You know, whatever you're doing, you shouldn't be doing, your life is completely over. No one is ever going to love you ever again. There's no way back now. You call yourself a Christian. You call yourself a follower of Jesus, a follower of God. You're, you call yourself that. There's no way back now. God will never forgive you. How can God forgive someone so dirty and so disgusting? You know, you're not worthy of it. You're worthless. And you know what? I'm going to take you out with the trash because you're just as good as trash. 
Now, obviously, we don't have to limit these feelings of worthlessness to the shame of sexual sin, just like this woman was experiencing. It can be easy, just as easily applied to other things in other areas in our life. For example, like overeating. But what about overspending? Getting into debt and foolishly spending your money or not investing or not being a good steward of God's resources. It can be substance abuse. You know, running to other things to temporarily relieve the pain and the hurt and the guilt and the shame. It can be anger, which, which leads to questionable character and poor decisions. You know, what this can tend to lead ultimately is to having identity issues. Because what happens is that we begin to communicate this. We communicate that I did, therefore I'm bad. Because I did X, Y, Z, therefore I'm bad. And we, that's this shame and this guilt that we feel, it is so internalized that we put it on like clothing. Like the way you got dressed to get to come to church today, we wear this. We wear this identity. We wear this condemnation. We become it. We carry it around wherever we go. You know, yesterday, I don't know if you guys saw on social media, I posted up a picture that I was with Spider-Man uh, yesterday. We were actually filming. Uh, we, we were doing some filming for uh, some friends of ours at Journey Church, and they're, they're working on something, so I was helping them out. So I was hanging out with Spider-Man. Actually, it's a good friend of ours. His name is Vinny. And what's, what's so interesting is that he's really good. He's, he's actually a pretty good actor. As soon as he put on the costume, he became spider-man and he was just jumping off of benches and and jumping and web slinging and 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 doing all this crazy stuff he became spider-man you know it's kind of like that we kind of when we put on this shame and we put on this condemnation we become it we wear it i did therefore i'm bad and what's really bad as well is that for some of us we wear the guilt and the shame and hear the voices of condemnation not because of something we did Sometimes it's because of something done to us, something that was done to us, something that, you know, you were on the receiving end of, a, of an abusive uh, relationship or the outlash of some harmful actions. And it's not even your fault, you know. You, 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 yet you walk around every day wearing, you know, the weight of guilt, shame, and condemnation. And when it comes to this, to this woman that we've been talking about in John chapter 8 she's brought to jesus and if it was in our day and age right her marriage would have been over right her marriage would have been done she would have had a bad reputation in fact there would have been gossip spread all over town did you hear what she did did you hear what happened to her oh man she's used goods there's no way how can she let that happen rumors and gossip would spread all over and she would lose the respect of her family for sure if she had kids she would totally lose the respect of her kids but in the time of jesus her life would literally be over so let's look at what jesus did as we continue to read in john 8 verse 6 they were using this the pharisees were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him before i go on i just want to address that's not really the point of today's message but i want you to see just how twisted the pharisees were they were using this as a trap to try to set up Jesus. You know, it can possibly even be that these Pharisees were so wicked that, that maybe they set up this whole scenario. Maybe they paid somebody off. Hey, could you seduce and woo this woman so that right when we catch her right in the act of adultery, we'll bring her 
to Jesus so that we can try to catch him in this trap. It's so sickening of how, of how out of control uh, these Pharisees might have been. But look at what Jesus does as we continue to read in this verse. Look what it says. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Here's this scene. The woman is dragged in front of Jesus. She's probably half nude or, or completely nude as they bring her before Jesus. She has tear-filled eyes, right? If she used mascara, it would be dripping down the sides of her face. They bring her to Jesus. The, groups, the group of religious leaders and Pharisees, they're wrapped all around. They're all around her and all around Jesus. And they're here maybe with stones in hand. And they're ready to take her life, waiting to see what Jesus is going to say. And, and, and all the eyes of the people, they turn to Jesus. And they look, Jesus, what are you going to say? What is it that you want? And what does Jesus do? He begins to write with his finger on the ground. Jesus stoops down, he bends over, he begins to write. So here's the question of the ages, right? Everybody has this question, what did he write? What did Jesus write? But no one actually knows, right? Nobody actually knows what he wrote. Some scholars believe that he began to write down the sins of the Pharisees. He began to write them down of the Pharisees that were present. You know, that might be fitting because of what Jesus says next. Remember, Jesus is God in flesh. He knows everything. He's omniscient, right? He was all-knowing. He would know the lives of those men, of those Pharisees that were there. And look what happens next. As he stoops down and he begins to write on the ground, as everybody is all around him, and he begins to write, maybe maybe writing the sins of the Pharisees that were present. Look what it says in verse 7. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. So what did Jesus, what did Jesus just say? It was like a drop-the-mic moment, right? It was just like a, a boom moment. The Pharisees were waiting for Jesus' response. They were looking for some way to accuse him, to say something wrong. But instead, Jesus answers, hey, whoever of you is without sin, go for it. Go ahead. Go and do it. And then he goes back to drawing his doodles on the ground, whatever he was doing. He, if, he, if, he was, if he was writing the sins of those present, I could just envision him writing, liar, swindler, cheater, gossip, glutton, especially you, guy, glutton. And writing it down. But I could just envision him writing, excuse me, these things on the ground. Whatever he's writing, after that boom dropped the mic statement, this is what the religious leaders begin to do. Check it out. Verse 9. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there with that statement jesus stumped all of the religious leaders there they had no comeback there was there was no retort there was nothing that they could answer there was nothing that they could say in return you know why because they recognized that neither one of them that was there was without sin all they could do is hang their heads in shame turn around and leave no matter how high and mighty they thought they were. Neither one of them could say that they were without sin. 
But you know who was without sin, right? That was Jesus, right? Jesus was there, and he was without sin. And if anyone could rightfully judge this woman for what she did, couldn't it be Jesus? Couldn't he rightfully judge this woman? If anyone could rightfully condemn her, this woman, it would be Jesus living a sinless life. But did he? But did he condemn her? No, instead, he chose mercy. And this is what's so amazing. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She responds and she looks around, I imagine, and she picks her head up and trying to see through the tears and looking around. No one, sir. And Jesus says, Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. This is what's so amazing about Jesus, that instead of giving her condemnation, he gave her mercy. Instead of giving her condemnation, he gave her mercy. In the eyes of those religious leaders that were there, she deserved death. She was caught in the very act of adultery. She deserves to die. She deserved condemnation. Perhaps even through her own eyes, I would imagine, her own thoughts. She probably thought, you know, I'm used good. There's just no hope about me. I'm all hope is I'm so embarrassed. I'm so shamed. They put my sin on display for all the world to see. And, and perhaps from her side and from the side of the Pharisees, there was no hope for her. Perhaps she was wallowing in her own shame, in her own guilt, in her own embarrassment. And if we're honest today, we've all been there. We've all been there. We've all experienced this. We've all had to deal with those feelings of guilt, condemnation, and shame. Sometimes it has been the voices of others around us, maybe even friends and family members or people that, that we know. But other times, you know, we've heard it, right? Other, some, some people whisper it in your ear, hey, you're no good, you're this. Some people downright scream it from a megaphone and let you know, man, you screwed up, you're no good, and you're worthless. And other times it's ourselves. It's our own voice that screams the loudest. We know we shouldn't have done that thing or responded that way or did whatever, right? We shouldn't have done that. We tell ourselves, how could God ever forgive someone like me? How could he forgive? How could he even love someone like me? For those of us that are honest enough to admit that we too face these feelings of condemnation, I hope that we can all come to that realization today and admit and be honest with yourself. We've all been there. We've all been to this spot. So for those of us honest enough to admit, I'd like for us to read this following verse. And when you read it, I want you to read it with confidence, knowing that God's that this is God's word. This is the very words of God, and it is truth. I need you to realize this is truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. I want you, so when we read this verse together, I want you to realize that this is truth, and it's made possible because of Christ's great love and sacrifice. So we're going to read this verse together. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Let's read it loud, and let's read it proud, knowing that this is God's word, and this is God's truth for us today. Ready? Let's read this. Romans 8, 1. Ready? Go. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's read it again nice and loud, nice and proud, knowing this is God's word. Ready, go. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This, 
the, the key of this verse right here is that we don't have to live with condemnation if we are in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Well, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. We were dead and separated from God. Our sin separated us from God, created a chasm between us and God. But God in his infinite love for you and for me, he sent his son, Jesus Christ. He sent him down to live the perfect life. You see, the Bible teaches us that the wages of sin is death. Listen, your freedom is costly. The price for your forgiveness, the forgiveness of your sin is costly, is not cheap. Because God sent Jesus to pay the price for your sin. Jesus lived a faultless life. He lived a sinless life, yet he died a criminal's death. Isn't that what we spoke about last Sunday as we celebrated Easter Sunday? And in his death, we can experience the forgiveness of our sin. But you know what? Three days later, he rose from the grave. He conquered Satan's sin and death and through his resurrection now we can experience newness of life and we can be reconciled to god the father through jesus because of what he did on the cross and resurrecting and the bible teaches us that if we confess with our mouth that jesus christ is lord and believe in our hearts that god raised him from the dead then we can experience and participate in the salvation that christ's sacrifice provides and when you do this, guess what? You are now in Christ. You are now in Christ. And if you are in Christ, you no longer have to wallow in the ocean of self-pity or drown yourself in the lake of past regrets. You can now be free of condemnation. Now you can be free. If you are in Christ, you are free from condemnation. Let me encourage you with this right here. You are not who others say you are. You are who God says you are. Let me add to this. You're not even who you say you are. You are who God says you are. Who does God say you are? God says that you are loved. God says you're his beloved. God says you are forgiven. This is what God thinks about you. God is crazy about you. Don't allow condemnation to keep you from experiencing the fullness of God's forgiveness. Don't allow condemnation to keep you from experiencing God's joy and his delight in you. He loves you. He cares deeply about you. You are his beloved. He's crazy about you. And Jesus told this woman, go and sin no more. Now, I don't want you to read that with, with a judgmental or a condemning tone. Remember, he just, finished, he just finished telling her that he does not condemn her, right? So he's not saying that phrase with a condemning tone or a judgmental tone. Listen, throughout the Bible, when you read Old Testament and New, there's a challenge to live out holiness. In the New Testament, we are challenged to be more like Christ. We call this the process of sanctification. It's becoming more and more like Christ. In fact, in the last series, Divine Direction, we learned that God's will is for us to be holy. It means every day a little bit more, trying to be more and more like Christ. And so when you read these words of Jesus to this woman, I want you to realize these words are extremely free. He said, go, go. That's a, you're, not, you're no longer in bondage. 
go. You're no longer a slave. You're no longer here. You're no longer bondage to death. Or you're no longer bondage to condemnation. You're no longer bondage to shame. You're no longer bondage to guilt. Go, go. She's no longer in bondage of sin. When you read those words, recognize he's not condemning her. He's not judging her. It's the opposite. He's freeing her. Go in Christ. There is now no more condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. Those words were freeing. Go, go. Likewise, for you, I want you to relish and to delight in God's love for you. Like I want you to delight in that. I want that to bring you joy to know that his love for you is so great through Christ. As we wrap up today, I would love for you to please take out your connection cards. And, uh, and Barrios already mentioned earlier to fill out, you know, the front of your regular tender. Your name and email is enough. In the back, however, there's some next steps. And I would love that we, if we can take these next steps. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, then the step that you need to take right now is to make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior so that you can experience what we said before about being in Christ. And so if you haven't made that decision, please check that off because we would love to follow up with you and help get some resources into your hands. But for all of us here today, I would love if we can check off that first next step. It says this, release my shame and delight in God's acceptance of me. Can we do that this week? Can we release our shame and delight and take joy in God's acceptance of me? And then later this week, when we get together for Life Group, we're going to be able to pray through this together and talk a little bit more about this. And that's so, so important. But today, let's take that next step. I want to pray for you during the week. Take that next step. You can drop that in the offering bucket. Barrios will let you know what to do with that in, in, in just a second. But let's take this next step, guys. For there is now no more condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, today we... We want to release our shame because, man, shame can have such a hold on our lives. Acknowledging this, Lord, from my perspective, knowing what shame and condemnation has done to me and how it's kept me bondage. But, God, we want to release our shame. We want to get rid of our disgrace. And we want to delight in God's accept in your acceptance of us through Christ Jesus. Thank you for providing the perfect way through Christ for which we can be forgiven of sin, reconciled unto the Father. And, lo, and Lord, sin no longer has a hold on our lives. We are set free by the power of Jesus. We, we praise you, God, and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.